Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I am GMB Kamichuk, Gregory to my friends. I am a working writer and illustrator. I am joined by my long-suffering co-host, Justin Curry, known the world over as Chasing Artwork and producer extraordinaire, Dan Fadimunker. Hello. 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 We all have some hot goss, sounds oh, like. Oh, do I don't. You don't? I don't think so. Sure you do. <laughs> Maybe you I'll got, come up with something. You got up <laughs> bright and early from a text from a, oh, that's right. yes. okay, from we'll a handsome man <laughs> who prompted you to spring out I of bed. I have no evidence that it was a handsome person. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> oh, is this the writing prompt? <laughs> this is the writing. Yeah. And Justin has some hot goss from a show. The names will be changed to protect the innocent. And if you and listen, the guilty. And the guilty. Um, Dan, did last... Did we post last episode last? It's co- it'll be up. It's coming? Okay, yeah. so if you listened to last episode, you may have heard me a little hot under the collar about some client work. I would like to go on record to say that I have plumbed the depths of my immortal soul. I have meditated on the subject, and I have realized that in order to create a good project, the project must come first. And I have started to internalize this idea each time one of those notes for a change comes through. And by doing that, it's stopped me from thinking negatively about the committee and positively about the project itself. And so this is a tangible, I think, uh, workaround for those of you who have been ground down to a little nub because of over notes in a project to remind yourself that the project should come first if you've agreed to do the project. Mm-hmm. And having gone through that dark tea time of my soul, I've come out the other side stronger, I believe. But also, it made me realize that uh, projects like Dragon Nanny or the one we're working on now, Oldest Salt, Strong as the Sea, I have no trouble changing anything forever on projects that I am totally committed to from the beginning. And the difference is, I've been there from the beginning. So I think mm-hmm. I understand what I'm protecting. Or is it maybe that other people haven't been there from the beginning and therefore you're not as open to their feedback? Well, what I was going to say, both are true, I think, in self-criticism. Having come into a project where I'm not the one who's holding the core safe, keeping the little flame protected, right? I'm the outside wind, Okay. right? I've realized now that... um, uh, it must have been my ego talking when I would get annoyed. And so I've been thinking of that each time one of those notes comes through, and it's been a lot better. Whereas when Justin s- creates an uh, a sub- enormous substantive change in a project that we have initiated together, he's keeping the little core flame perfect. And there's trust, there's trust and, there. And, and, I, and I know so that that is what right. he's doing because I know what it is. He doesn't have to explain it to me. And so when the wind blows, it doesn't affect... Like I'm, le- I'll let everything change except that little thing which I know he's holding also. So does it kind of uh, every so often a client will have a last minute change and same thing like ego will rear up and hair will bristle, but then when I do it, it makes a project better. It makes me like ah. Sh- In this shit. case, I can objectively no, I can't be objective because I'm involved. <laughs> I can unobjectively state that the last sort of 50 changes I've made in this particular work haven't changed it 
or made it substantively different as far as okay, I yeah. can tell. That's a different beast, yeah. But I also think that this is the point here as far as I can tell, but I'm not the one defending the flame, right? Is that a normal amount of changes to have in a project like this? <sighs> I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> it seems high, seems yeah. a bit high, but I mean, I don't know. It depends on, on I mean... Uh, it's high uh, for me. Okay. It's, it's high for me, and maybe that's the other part of my ego is I'm used to sticking the landing, right? It's right. like uh, there's always the Russian judge in this case. That's like, Everyone else is scoring a nine, and someone's like 3.4. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, two at most. Redo, right? Something like that is going on every time. You were time. looking for that. There's that great sigh of relief when you hand in a project and you're not sure exactly how many changes the client is going to come back with, and they come back with, yeah, it looks great. Let's looks keep, great. keep oh going. Like, gosh. Oh, my God. I got okay. that for the first time in like two months on this project for a thing that I handed in. and I it, But then I'll also uh, give some credit <laughs> Having this squirrel running through the. No, I was just moving. I realized I think I, I left my cup there last week and I left a mark on your desk. So I'm sorry. <gasps> on this antique, wow. turn of the century, Victorian. Those words don't actually mean anything. I, <laughs> right? I'm Fluff. making a collage of nonsense right now. Yeah, anyway, sorry about that. I'm sure I can fix it. Oh I'll goodness. buff it out. I wanted to say that uh, Lyndon Redchenka, um, friend of the podcast, um, new cat dad. New cat dad. Hey, and. Sufferer of the studio has also pointed out that uh, one of our mutual favorite scenes in the ancient show Mad Men, where someone is like, How come you never say thank you? And he says, That's what the money is for. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, you know, I. He's kind of an asshole about it, though. He really is. Like, it could be nice and still give them money. Yeah. You know. (laughs) Yeah. I get it. But I'm also not under uh, the same kind of pressure that they are. And I'm also not keeping the flame safe. I'm the wind in there this case. So if you listened to last episode and you thought I was uncharacteristically salty, I also think I was uncharacteristically salty upon reflection. And I spent some time, once I went on the record being annoyed, I realized like, is that really me? It's a great ad for the last podcast. This is well. just, yeah. It's yeah. also just a you know, nice backpedaling yeah. going on here. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> in my new role as politician yeah. of the podcast, uh, I would like to retract my previous statement. Would it be all right if you... Um came back tomorrow. Why don't you just sit down? No, I'm fine. Let me make it's you just, some tea. I just, I don't think I had lunch, that's all. There are some things you can't take back. Justin, fresh from the road, yeah. the dust and wear, his windblown hair, he has returned to us through the air from which convention? Uh, Odafest. Okay, I was going to say, or where should we change that name to? No, no. From Odafest. Calgary's Odafest. Tell us about Odafest, and then I'll ask you some scathing questions. Well, first, like an interesting thing for people who do conventions. Uh, We just got back from the Calgary Comic Expo. uh, Four-day event, huge event, like 100,000 people. At the end of April, right? The end of April. Really big show for us. So it's the middle of May. I go back to the same city for their anime show, and... Originally, I would have thought, like, this is a terrible idea. You just did a big show there. You're going to see the same people. It's, it's still, like, it's a convention. It's a different category, but you're going to see the same people. You're not going to have a great show because you were just there. And that is not the case at all between Comic-Cons and anime shows. It is a completely different audience. Sure, there was, like, one or two people who saw me at another show, but it is 99% a different crowd. 
People who go to anime conventions don't necessarily go to Comic Cons and vice versa. Um, so it's a it was a really really good show, and it's right on the heels of of just being in Calgary. Okay. Um, I've just looked it up. There are 1.3 million people who live in Calgary. Mm-hmm. So even if every one of those hundred thousand people at the Calgary Expo had come to your show, which they didn't, yeah, right, uh, that'd only be ten percent, less than ten percent. Yeah. I think what he's trying to say is that a more focused show gets a different. Like some some anime fans will go to a bigger con, a general yeah. con, because they know there's going to be some. But they also like the other things. They like the Star Trek and the other for sure. Star Wars yeah. and all this stuff. So these are for people who don't like all that stuff and just like anime. And there's yeah. a lot of people like that. These nerddom is becoming more specialized. It is. And so people really drill into their their there's tattoo conventions. Yeah. There's furry conventions. There's supernatural conventions. There used to be brony cons. I think those are still, oh, are. still going. They're, they're still, still going. Still oh my going goodness. Okay. Sure. Anyways, but like we used to like same thing in. Winnipeg. Winnipeg has a big convention. They have a big anime show. And like I've heard, you know, comments from other artists like, oh, I'm just going to do the big one. Like, and it feels like the undertone of that is I don't want to do like two shows in the same city. It's going to be the same audience. It'll be the same people. But it's, it is completely different. So if you're kind of new to doing conventions, keep in mind that, yeah, like animes, anime conventions are completely different beasts than Comic Cons. And that was something that we kind of just learned from doing. But, Interesting, fun fact. So you had a good show. It was a great show. Yeah, yeah. Um, great crowd, great people. This was, uh, I stayed with friend, um, friend of the podcast, Quirkylicious. There was a couple artists staying at his house, and we had, like, the convention was good. The, the hangout, the meals, and the fun that we had after was, like, top tier. It was the <laughs> funnest weekend. The, the last night, it was, um, it was Drake's girlfriend's birthday, and we stayed up late playing Mario Kart and Mario Party and drinking soju, which is like a weak <laughs> Korean rice wine that's like it's it's very fruity and very easy to drink. And uh, we I had to get up for like four in the morning to catch a flight, but I stayed up till one thirty playing video games and drinking with friends because it was just so worth it. So you were still lighter than air when you took the flight. I was OK. Yeah, <laughs> I had a nap. Yeah, I was not asleep. It was a nap. And yeah. That sounds like a great time. It was yeah. so much fun. Although I like I feel like I missed that part of growing up, which a lot of people had, of getting really good at Mario Kart and Mario Party. Yeah. It was never part know. of my gaming history. It's deep down in my core memories getting good at Mario Kart. Yeah, like everybody who plays was at one time or another a pro, and I've never played enough to really even figure it out. I haven't either. I I'll okay. be honest. Like, it was it was a, I was a Sega kid, first of all, Genesis Cam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that how it goes? <laughs> no, Genesis does with Nintendo. <laughs> so we didn't have the Mario Kart. Yeah. Um, and then it just, you know, I just kind of, I would play, but I would always lose. And I still lose regularly to my children. So yeah. I'm just going to wash my hands of it. Well, and every version of it is like, if you've played an older Mario Party, like a lot of the games still carry over to the new one. Yeah. So like if you got good at one of them, you still have a really yeah. good handle on the newer ones. And I just felt like every time I play that game, I feel so left behind. Because everybody who, yeah, there's just those red shells are just coming at you out of nowhere. No, it's the blue, blue shells. shells. Those uh, red shells make you go faster. Test. That was a test, Dan. Or no, the mushrooms make you go faster. Red shells, you just huck. The blue shell is like huck it from the end of the line and it hits the person in the lead. In I the lead, it. yeah. Oh yeah, it's the. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm never in the lead. I'm never. But in the red shell that. does <laughs> hunt the person in front of yes, you. That's yes, that's true. Yes. Yeah. Now that we've established right. and I'm rules. always second, so I don't need the blue shell necessarily. I just need. Okay, that's how I'd take first. I'd wait until the moment 
my friend Gary Grauman would be about to cross the finish line. And then you'd... And then I'd hit him with the red shell. And then I'd cross. And nice. he'd know. I'd hold on to that red shell and get in behind him. And he would just swear at me and get so mad because he knew it was coming. That's and, awesome. Yeah. And really, those of you wondering what's the deal with Mary Kart, it's about spitefully ruining your friend's good time yeah. in the service of all of your good times. That's true. true. Right? Now, on that topic spitefully ruining a friend's good time Ooh, you've got yeah. some hot gossip from the show i'm going to name the people so that you have names to use i'm going to forget the so names that you halfway don't know. through the story we're going to call them um artist a and artist b yeah well i was gonna <laughs> okay sure artist a let's call them artist and plagiarist all right okay so um got got talking to a friend of mine that i haven't seen in a while at at the show and they told me this story um, came up that there was a friend of theirs who also wanted to get into art and doing conventions and all that stuff and came to help them at a show. So artist A and artist B, artist and plagiarist, were hanging artist out. Artist A and artist P. P, yeah. <laughs> a and P were hanging out at artist A's table. And they were having a good convention, helping out, all this good stuff. Artist A went to the bathroom, and when Artist A came back, saw that Artist P was taking pictures of this sheet that Artist A was keeping track of all their prints with. So it was, the, it was basically their breakdown of what was the best seller, what wasn't selling, what was working, what wasn't. It was kind of their the cheat sheets of like, yeah. yeah. Well, that's good on them for keeping that information. Holy keeping crap. It. But notice that, yeah, like Artist P was documenting this. Oh, wow. And didn't think, like, kind of, yeah, set off a bit of a red flag, but didn't think too much of it. Artist P's a friend, after all. And then next year, Artist P sets up a table that looks very much similar to Artist A's table. Basically copied their homework, like, word for word. Same color, color scheme, same content, same fat, like same, same fandom, compositions. You were stuff saying like too? so, yeah. So I'm I'm listening to this story, and I've heard stories like this before. I'm like, okay, I wonder like how much they actually copy them. Maybe they're just inspired by them. Who knows? But I'm yeah, Saturday. and let me just put a let me just make an aside here that um, some artists and I have been present um, uh, a dinner I went to in New York Comic Con comes to mind where some A-list artists from Marvel and DC were very upset at another artist for aping their style or their composition. And when you put the pages side by side, perhaps all they were quote-unquote copying was the rhythm of the storytelling. But to hear them tell it, it sounded like... They traced it. They had photocopied it yeah. and handed it in as their own work. And so artists can be, and I think you were right to be a little... Suspicious. Artists can be very protective and very yeah. triggered by anything that seems like it came from them. And you cannot throw a rock into the roster of Marvel and DC writers who will say, oh, that new event book that's out now that's selling crazy. That was my idea that I gave to an editor yeah. seven years ago, right? How close it actually is, who knows? Right? Creatives are very dramatic. Yeah, yeah. we can be... Quite dramatic. Yeah. Everything I've done, I've done for you. Don't you understand that? The people you hated, I hated. What I love about like being an artist and having a style is like Gregory and I can both do, yeah. and we both have done 
um, like you know, fan art of like the same properties. Like we have some Star Wars stuff. Put our and we thing have some Star Trek side stuff. By side. Our thing pieces yeah. and good lord, like there couldn't be a bigger ocean of difference between the two. It's based off yeah. the same source material. We're drawing from the same things, but like our vision and our voice is so different. And we've Shout talked out to about printed in blood. Who did the thing? Yeah, book that we love. It's like yeah, every time day. we do a print in blood piece, it's all coming from the same idea, but so so different. On that, um, that in itself is just evidence that so many different things can come from one thing, right? Yeah, yes. printed yeah, yeah. blood, yeah. all of the stuff yeah. they do. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like the person, the this artist, they comes out and catches this person taking photos. Is this like a book they have behind their table? I think it was just a like a spreadsheet and like you on know, the computer. No, just like uh, printed out. Oh, okay. And it's weird to leave that stuff lying around. But anyway, yeah. it doesn't matter. Well, because but it's only good to one person. I guess you only yeah. kind of, you keep track of it yeah. while you're selling. Oh, that one's sold. Okay, check yeah. mark, that one's sold. And you're like, it's real time. So I get yeah. that. So I wonder if there was a conversation when she came out and said, why are you taking a photo of that? The kind of thing. Or did she just not say anything and that's yeah. it? They, I don't know why I'm, trying, I, I'm very, not attributing gender to these people. I'm just, I don't know why yeah. I'm saying she. They are very anti-confrontation. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think like there there could have, like had it been different people there could have been a bit feel of like a, if Justin you... saw me taking pictures of a spreadsheet on his computer he'd probably be like what the fuck <laughs> exactly that's what I'm saying so but if it's like you know th- it was just on the table and this person was just kind of casually like snapping and it wasn't maybe he wasn't even sure if that's what they were taking a photo of like there sure. could have been some miscommunication there so I get that um, but I wonder if there were more conversations about you know what they did and their their strategy and and if there's more to it than just copying this i think yeah artist p mind artist a for for information and and like we we're you know happy to share our our tips and tricks and what worked for us like this whole podcast but we it. really want people to kind of find their own way and do their own things if they again like copy our homework word for word then that's crossing i i've that to me is crossing a bit of a line like i am super happy to help and point you in directions of things that worked for me and things that didn't but if you try to do exactly what worked for me then i don't think we're gonna be friends anymore yeah oh and like if you i don't know what draw from the same inspirations like for example in my own portfolio i have a big set of prints that are obviously inspired by 40s propaganda and uh 20s well really 1914 but what i'm saying is so does nico rudolph he has a whole set of prints that are like that but whereas i <laughs> put all bears exactly my yeah. point his are all these really clever bear puns and yeah. mine are weird war right so right. we're both looking at the same thing and we're inspired so if you were to be casual you might look at the cr2 booths together and say oh are those guys the same but when you look closely you realize they are not and the cool thing is that uh, somebody who likes that type of art can buy one of yours and one of nico's yeah. and have them both on their wall and many do exactly I, this awesome. is this is why i'm so uh, aware of it even because we were just on the road and nico wasn't on the road with us and so lots of people who buy my work also usually have his and ask where he is and what's he doing and you know, how do they get in touch with them. So I sent some stuff his way that way. Cool. Yeah. Right? So this is all to say, this is to set the scene for chapter two of our story. That it's, sometimes artists blow it out of proportion and it's not a big deal. We can be inspired by the same thing and produce different work. That must be what happened, right? Right, Justin? yeah. So I finally had a chance to walk the floor and in the back of my mind, it's like, oh, I got to try to find this other artist who's taken a lot of inspiration from artist a 
and I come across this table. It's like, oh, it's Artist A. Look at their booth. It looks good. And then I look closer, and no, this is not Artist A's table. This is Artist P's table. If anything, they undersold it. This person, like, color scheme, composition, fandoms, like, it, like one-to-one looked at what Artist A was doing and, like, redid it. Ooh. Yeah, like it was, it was like I stopped in my tracks and like it was like a slap. Holy crap. And they were across the aisle from Artist A at this show. Oh, no. So then be, then it becomes a problem. And then I, so I, I went over to Artist A. He's like, holy crap. Like you, you were not kidding. That looks exactly like the stuff that you do. Okay, be exact. Like, Composition is actually the same. So Artist A has this one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna change the details. They have a series of prints inspired by a country in a very simple color scheme. They're black and blue and white. Like it's right. it's very monotone and it's very like lots of brush strokey kind of stuff. Artist P did a whole series of blue and black and white brushy thing. Like saw that print series and. Copied. Did their own, yeah. Huh. Like super, like enough that I thought that organizers should get involved and there should be a conversation. This is, is not what happens. Is that, like when does I'm, I, I, do you I guys know if this kind of thing happening where it's been this? Oh my exact? gosh, what? So that's a muddy where it water, comes into yeah. a muddy gray area. Yeah. Because if it's mostly fan, like I don't know the person in, in well, question. First of all, it's anime. Anime kind of all looks the same. Sorry, don't at me. Oh, no, some of it. That's the thing. Some of it's Let's original as well. Him. It's original Dear art. Listeners. Let's add him. There's a style. It's a yeah. style that everybody follows. Yeah. Anime, right? Oh. Is it not? Would that, you not say that? That's like, like saying all European food is the same. Um, there, there's flavors. Oh my there, goodness, yeah. you guys! Well, no, no, no. That's no, not, no, true. That's oh not true at all. That's not like saying that. It is like lots of that. flavors of anime. You just reduced an entire culture well, to a single. Note. I just okay. I'll, let me rephrase. All the anime that I have seen looks the same to me. It's, yeah, you have to once you get into the culture, you start to yeah. Let's quali- and, quantify that okay. through the eyes of the viewer, from the point of view of Dan Vadbunker. So I would probably, I would probably think more than one booth looks the same. But if you're saying it's color scheme and stuff, all that stuff is going to be. It is to the different. point where um, customers will buy from artist P and then come to artist A saying, "Oh, I just bought your stuff." Like, right. oh, can okay. you? They think it's like two different booths. The they same think person. it's this. Yeah, oh. yeah. Like it is that fucking close. Yeah, that's not good. It's it's like if yeah, if Nico stopped doing conventions, you decided the bear thing was working, I'm gonna do the bear All thing. All bears. And not started if, taking not, credit not for if Nico started stop doing conventions though. Yeah, it'd Nico be worse if I yeah, did it yeah, yeah, as yeah. bears. Like if I suddenly switched to bears. Well, yeah. World War Bears. Yeah. Well that's what he's doing. Oh, he does. So yeah. You're doing weird yeah. bears. No, yeah, if I did World weird, weird bears, bears and he did or if I he has another thing um called Ghost Richard. Yeah, and, ghost. Uh, <laughs> ghost Richard. If I started, it's Ghost Dick actually. But if I, I started would love doing, to see your take on Ghost Dick. if I, I did Ghost Richard or right, yeah, uh, Ghost Johnson, right. to the point where people confused you yeah. too. Like well, fans of be, his that thought be, that yes. you, yes, because he's very much made that his thing. Yeah. Uh, but so what is what happens in this case? Are, are, is this person going to be drummed out of the industry? Are they going to be like no, nothing snob? Nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Like I got all angry on this artist's behalf. I'm like, we we got to do something. But like, what do you do? Like, what is there to do? I would think that that it will hopefully play out like they won't sell as much stuff because it isn't original because it looks too close to this. <laughs> that other assumes person's. that the audience cares. 
Well, <laughs> most part, consumers. I feel like a lot care. of the stuff sorts itself out in the wash, kind of thing. Like the the lower quality stuff will fall, and the higher quality stuff rises. Say up, that right? to the yeah. beta max. To the what? <laughs> well, the beta that's max. the exception. I just should have asked first, but I wanted it to be a surprise. Can I have consulting marks, please? Sure. This feels so good on my neck. <laughs> I didn't think you'd mind. It's very interesting you mentioned a Betamax because I have been getting into the world of, of collecting VHS tapes. Beta tapes are very difficult to find. Yeah. It's a huge, like, collector's market. It's an underground. Oh, man. My, my grandmother had a Betamax. It was awesome. People are collecting VHS tapes now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, because they're physical media that aren't isn't being produced. Remember, we were just having a conversation so. before we started about not being able to watch the movies you want to watch on yeah. streaming because they're not available. Well, own it on VHS. Well, DVD. I own DVDs. In my misspent youth, I actually regret it now, Dan, that I heard you say this. But it's it's the hoarder in me that would have kept them. But now I realize I could have given them to you. But I was part owner of a video distribution company right. in my misspent youth. And when we bought it, we inherited the vault of dead tapes ah. which was a huge room of every b and c movie you can imagine in science fiction fantasy wow. or otherwise oh, in just dusty old vhs's and you know we i skimmed some gold out of there just to watch myself uh like hawk the slayer and things like that but the, the, they're all they're oh, gone that now. would have been awesome i worked um, at blockbuster video during the transition to dvd so i was like un unboxing all these dvds and putting a little protecting stickers on them and putting them on the shelves and stuff, that kind of stuff. So we sold off. I actually remember selling off our entire anime section at Blockbuster Video. Uh, the VHSs. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, because uh, we just replaced it all with, with DVD. I bought Bubblegum Crisis hey. set from Blockbuster. Yeah. To robots and ladies. Yeah, lady <laughs> robots. Yeah, well, ladies wearing robot suits to hunt mad But cyborgs. when they get out of those robot suits... I just liked it for the article. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh my god, that was that actually was something I all right, was. I was seventeen. All right, well, of course. <laughs> I was uh, the booth across from me had a big cutout of a an anime girl in a very lewd pose, and like it seemed like everybody who walked by me the first like hour of this convention had bought something that polite company would frown upon that's what explains the text and this, i was like i was second guessing my artistic integrity at this show for a while because it seemed like all that was selling around me was boobs well that does <laughs> that's a good percentage of the anime I, I mean, i'm sorry generalizing about anime yeah TV, but that yeah is, okay I mean, I do see that we'll yeah. open the show with a slight disclaimer that dan vaderbonker's <laughs> views on anime do not reflect those of the entire I, podcast just, like, as a father of kids who watch anime a lot i just kind of take in what they see and i am familiar as i said we rented it at a blockbuster so i do i do yeah. i did watch like the old school stuff macross and all that uh, oh, macross but um yeah, I just feel like it is. The, there is a lot of that boob stuff for sure. Fan service. Yeah, absolutely. Fan service, exactly. Fan service. Yeah. Did anyone go to Artist P and talk to them directly about? I wanted happened? to. I yeah. really wanted to. I was stuck. I was there solo. This was a show that I pro like probably need two people to do. It's that busy. It's it's that um, steady. Um, but I was I was kind of locked at my table the whole time. And I set up my booth in a way that it kind of really locked me in, and there was no clear exit because I wanted to take up as much Couldn't room float. as possible. Couldn't float around. Which yeah. I'm sure, Gregory, you can. Yeah, you do that often too. We we construct we our ziggurats. 
and yeah. to be uh, unescapable. So I actually had to go through, um, shout out to Johnny Cox. I would go back behind my booth and into his because he had an exit to Johnny's get out. Johnny's a good person. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah so what do you say you, to that person? Said, what do you say? Well, my question would be direct. Is this not just a copy of that work right there across yeah. the aisle? Like if, if that is the... The thing that people are afraid to say is the thing you should say directly. And that's the, and they're going to be taken aback by it. They're not going to be expecting it because yeah, nobody would dare question their integrity. As that's a big – yeah, that's a confrontation. Like, yeah, where but does, that's a, but that's if, a, the, if the proof is literally 15, 25 feet away – You wouldn't be more subtle about it? What's hey, the uh, point of the subtlety? <laughs> How about this? How about, hey, that, that work looks kind of like yours. You think that person might be copying you? <laughs> See, now you're just playing games. If you're trying to get it, See, I would do that probably. I'd, I'd want to have fun with it because I don't know what the end, what's a good end result there, making the person feel bad. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And making them stop doing it or at least yes. try to do more original. I would, uh, I would try to have a conversation around like, I think you should stretch out and do your own thing. You would be more successful. Like, if you're good enough, to, here's the other thing. Let me ask you a question. Now, you're mm-hmm. going to have to separate your uh, preference for artist A yeah. from the following. Was artist P's work. Good. So if artist A is at 100%, artist P, I want to say, is like 65%. So it is it's definitely not the quality. It's not as good, but they haven't been doing it as long. They haven't copied as many pieces yet. So, But even <laughs> even 65% of an established art, if you can hit 65% of the mark copying, you can hit 100% of the mark on your own work. Oh, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, they have the skill to copy it that closely. They have the skill to make up their own thing. I feel like Artist P is trying to fast forward their, like, to jump That's ahead it. Yeah, they saw a successful business somebody. plan. Like, we were talking, it's funny, because Lyndon said this last episode, which I was just editing. He said, you, you look at people you admire and copy what they're doing. Not literally. Not right. literally. Like, copy what you see them doing as far as their, their business strategy and stuff like that. In martial arts, it can be called a kata, like a thing, uh, yeah. like a form that you practice, right? So if Justin learns it and I learn it, how we execute it in the moment is going to be different because the moment dictates difference, right? So you could both learn mantis style or whatever it is, right? But the moment is going to dictate the difference in how you use it. So it doesn't matter if a person trains the same way or frankly copies until they learn it. That's how you learn a kata. You copy, 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 but then... The instant where you have to now combine it with the moment is what makes it art. Or even the instant you try to make money off of it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and here's the other side of it. Fandom, right? Yeah. They're just trying to cash in. But it wasn't all fandom. It was the original series, like, based, like, kind of fan art of, like, a country's art kind of, you know. Yeah. So it wasn't just all fandoms. It was original series of paintings as well. So they were copying an artist's original work not fan art not just well, the fan concept fan both yeah the the concept the style the composition oh. the color scheme yeah, and like one to one color scheme like they clearly brought artist A's palette into their document and copied the palette this is just like Jurassic Park when they look at what the person had done before and put in a little frog DNA stood on their shoulders out. yeah showed on the shoulders of those that came before you but didn't what was the, what's the line oh you, you were so excited to see that you could. You didn't stop to think that you should. Yeah. Sneaky to should. Something yeah. like that. Jeff Goldblum. Love it. Jeff Goldblum. Um, yeah. That's the same kind of thing. Like, you didn't Another do the Jeff work. Another Jeff Goldblum line that applies here is that's a huge pile of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's about you, if you don't do the work to actually learn the skills and get better at it, you're not going to be as successful as, as someone like you who did do that. 
and yeah, or artist A. The worst part of all this is artist A is just such a sweet person and doesn't do confrontation that they just let it happen and. You know, I think probably just, most people would wait and see with that. that. As the artist being copied, I don't think anybody else is going to step in on their behalf unless but, she would, they ask them to. But, like, is it worth sending a note? Like, for you, for example, is it worth sending a note to the organizer? To the organizer paraphrased as follows You know, uh, I'm chasing artwork. I do this work, as you well know. I've been following this other artist's work for a long time. I think they're the sweetest person. I think they avoid confrontation. And because I know they will avoid confrontation, here's something I think you should know about that they should bring up to you. I would ask them first. Yeah. You shouldn't take on someone else. You shouldn't champion someone else's cause. But if that comes from me and like a couple of our other friends who are equally outraged, you know, like getting getting one email like that, who knows if anything is going to happen. If they get three emails like that from big artists in the show. Yeah. From people who have routinely booked and it's, you know, yeah. you got the only way to make a show listen is to hit them uh, on the spreadsheet, as yeah. it were. Don't make me come get you! One thing that really annoyed me about this show is la- the last couple of years, I, I have too much stuff to do an artist alley table. They only have, you got six feet, there's a, like a height cap, like it's a pretty small space. So I always get a vendor's table facing the artist alley, which right. gives me two tables at a corner or two tables... Um, in a straight line, the tables that I've had the last couple of years got replaced. And so I was, I was in the back row. It was fine. It was still a good spot, but by a huge RBC booth, like front and center facing the artist alley, primo spot, Royal bank of Canada, with a weird, like a Japanese backdrop to take pictures. What are they trying to do? They're trying to just promote the bank. Like like bank services. Yeah. Like I was kind of, they didn't even say thank you for the spot, Justin. That's what the money is for. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just comes back to like non-fandom related things being at conventions, which you've seen before. It's just, yeah. Yeah, it was just the, one of the best spots in the show was given to a big, faceless corporate. Probably black. paid a lot of money for that spot. Well, they probably paid the re- like the same the rest of us did. I Maybe hope they yeah. at least sponsored and gave them more money. Yeah, but they took two big tables away from local vendors or artists to promote a. Uh, Greedy corporation. I think it's a missed opportunity for RBC to do something really cool. If you're going to do that, really lean into it and have some fun with it and make it cool, like interactive thing or like, they, like they had a backdrop thing. Booth. They had, yeah, exactly. they tried. Yeah, but yeah, it engage was... a local artist to create your booth. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. No. But they wouldn't because they'd have to get it approved by a committee. Yeah. <gasps> Not just one, probably at least three. Oh, my goodness. That's right. Um, so, uh, this won't be the. You do a lot of shows in the anime world. This won't I be the really last time. I don't, actually. I do, like, two. You used to do more? Didn't you uh, do more? You tried a few. Haven't you? I, so I've done the Winnipeg one. I've done Vancouver one. I've done the, the Toronto one once because it's lottery. The thing with anime shows is the artist alley are always very small tables, and they are so goddamn hard to get because it's all lottery and first come, first serve, and anime artists are on top of that. So wait, if wait, you wait, are you're not, saying they keep it fair? They keep it fair, but like if you do not oh, have a dear. fast internet connection and are clicking within a microsecond of tables going on, right. you have no chance. Right. And so I'm never on top of because there's quite a few. Yeah. I, I never am on top of like when to sign up and am ready on the ball. And like a lot of people when they're signing up, they will have like four computers going at the same time just and so all that, clicking. Just so the dear listener knows, the local anime show icon is like that. 
And yes. there's four or five of us who who have successfully vended a number of years at it, but it's the same thing. It's by lottery and it's by first come, first serve. And so we'll keep each other it's this weekend. Don't forget. Saturday yeah. at whatever. You gotta sign up, sign and up. We're all texting each other and reminding each other. And I don't think I could handle that kind of pressure for like ten shows a year. <laughs> there's no way. Yeah, and like friends of ours do like that's you know primarily with primarily them. it's yeah. all animation so there's yeah and and there's quite a few really good ones in the states that i've always just heard nothing but great things about and i've never done and i was kind of looking at my schedule this year and it's all kind of familiar faces and maybe for next year i'd like stuff. to try some to be new at some shows i have i saw i don't know if it's it, this was pre-pandemic but i nem- remember last time i ran through drove through saskatoon there was an anime show happening blitz or something i don't remember what it was called it was in it was in July, I think. Uh, and this is, again, pre-pandemic. So that that looked like a cool show. I really wanted to go. I'm like, oh, I wish you could stop and stay here so I could check that out. Like, I like to see – I really want to do more of, like, seeing what conventions in other cities are like. Cause I'm and not different kinds that. of conventions. I yeah. walked through a lawn and garden convention on the way here. <laughs> The, on the way here, on the way here, I was walking past the. Did they have a really impressive setup? Also, like, yes, yeah. And there was there was ten or maybe as many as twenty circular saws all running in demonstrations outside, wow. and like all kinds of people like really interested in the variations on on speed differentials of a circular saw. There's I made that up. I don't know anything. if that's there's a yeah. convention for every possible thing. It's 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 wild times. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild times. I was going to say something related to anime shows and signing up, and you—it was—it was so profound. I'm sure, it was. I'm sure, it was. It's, it's lost to the ether. Um, oh no, I know what it is. Different shows, new places. We're going to try some tattoo conventions. All right. I think is the idea. There's at least two that I'm looking at. Am I going to see the GMB Kamichuk banner up on B-roll again at my CTV? Probably. Show? Probably. <laughs> Every time a Pro- camera comes back from some show, I'm like, oh, there he is, right in the back there, there in the corner. Is. Yeah, There he is. Yeah. I, I had some people who take pictures and text me shots from their television saying like, ooh, you're on TV again, but just in the background. <laughs> I was like, that's because I have not committed a crime worthy of the front thing. But what I was going to say is you and I both have had our work stolen quote-unquote by tattoo artists and it doesn't bother us so what would be the difference well the do you think matter. that's different if a tattoo artist sees your work puts it on someone's body and then they proudly come up to you and say look here you go so i took your work the equivalence would be if we were if i was a tattoo artist and you look through my books book of tattoos and then like put that in your portfolio these are tattoos that i can do original design original designs yeah. by gmb like yeah now, there's a name for that board. What's that board? You learned it just oh, recently. No, well, flash tattoos are quick. T- like they Flash tattoos, we learned this term, the Saskatoon Expo, are, uh, they'll have a big board of like simple designs. And it was like, there's $75, you can get this tattoo. $100, you can get this tattoo. $150, you can get this. And they're all preset designs that are just ready to go. They're like what the person can do quickly, yeah. easily, and efficiently, and professionally. And what kind of stuff was on there? Uh, well, it was all nerd based because it was a yeah. uh, Comic Con. Like a Cobra Commander symbol or stuff whatever, like yeah. But what I would notice is that they were not more complex than the things that you and I give for free in our books that we draw. The difference is that they weren't permanently embedded on people's flesh forever. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about that for a second. So at the Saskatoon convention, across from me was a booth of like four tattoo um, tables and f- four tattoo artists. 
and they had their little flash boards up and they were not taking appointments ahead of time. So nobody had looked at their portfolios and pre-booked, but the entire three-day convention, all four of those tattoo tables were full like the entire time. Wow. So that means people were coming up, looking at the board and like within a like five to ten minutes we're laying down getting that tattoo i'll take pikachu i'll take cobra commanders yep i can totally see it i can i was a little blown away by the like impulsiveness of some of these i think people people are seemingly impulsive but it's probably something they've been turning around for a long time i hope so and that they okay that's it that's what i want let's do it boom and it feels so good to make that kind of decision like that i think they they it feels like a you know just impulse till the needles start permanent <laughs> permanent mark in my body but i think they they like that it's part of the thrill of getting a tattoo i think also also worth mentioning all four tattoo artists were very pretty girls in cosplay that also helps drive i think that might have helped some of the decisions I would do that. I would totally do. I don't have any. Tattoos. I would just like to say tattoos? that no, I have no. no tattoos. That chasing artworks um, summation of what works and doesn't work to a tattoo artist does not represent the general ideas <laughs> of the Super Bob Science staff. How or safe? Community. Can you guys can't deny be. that tactic works at every convention. <laughs> some post, someone. Anyway, that's suppose. interesting. I think tattoos are on the rise. Popularity and tattoos are rising. I know it's always been popular, but I think they're going up again more and more. It's more and more common. For someone to have it, like it's not as frowned upon as it used to be to have a sleeve of tattoos. Yeah, and it's just kind of a. And, it used to be just about, the yakuza, and now <laughs> anyone can have. But it. talking about taking your art and putting it on a person's body, I, you know, it's assumedly, uh, presumably okay because it's their body, right? They're putting an, an image on their body permanently, so you should feel honored that they put your your, that, your art on their body. So if, if I anybody... steal your artwork and hang it on my wall, it's my wall. Shouldn't that's I, true? Shouldn't that's you feel true. honored? No. That's true. So you think that they should pay you? For no, the no, right no, I'm not. No, I'm not. What I'm saying is, I agree with you. I am honored. It's weird right? <laughs> that I'm honored by it. But by the same token, if someone copies it for a piece of paper, I'm upset. Right. I don't know. Yeah. So it's just one of those. I think it's what a tattoo. It's it's just for the person. It's not. But a tattoo artist is getting paid hey, good, money are, yeah. good money to trace your art More than you got paid probably for that yeah. drawing in the first place. Yeah, yeah. but that's because it's the work of doing the tattoo that they're getting paid for, maybe. Right? They, they can do pretty much do any design as long as they basically do trace it, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Don't they? What? A lot of them, well, like, they'll come up with the art. we have a friend of a podcast who is now a tar- tattoo yeah, artist. Edrin. So we should bring oh. Edrin on to discuss oh, yeah. this. Okay. And how he feels about bringing, like... Clients bringing in, like, I want you to trace the design. I don't want you to do your interpretation of it. I yeah. want this one-to-one on my foot, on my back. Don't, my don't like, change it. Biceps. Yeah. <laughs> then you're just a tracer. Yeah. And we I all know how we feel about tracers. I think it's great. You should trace it. You got it. You knew it was me. Come on. You knew. And you didn't care. So, as we move into... It might seem like summertime for everybody, but summer is leaning up into the busy convention time. Like October, September, October, November is pretty busy, at least on my schedule coming up. So there's this sort of small lull where there's just a few things happening this summer, where uh, at least for me, and then it's busy time. So what are some things that you want to be different coming forward? into the new convention, into the busy season 
what, what do I want to change about? Yeah, not just about your booth, but maybe about your attitude towards art, because we've been mostly talking about our attitudes about what counts and what doesn't and yeah. what our practice is and how you get good at something. What are some uh, new horizons for you? So one thing that was kind of exciting at at this show, I don't have as much new work this year because I've been working hard on my new book, Spark Chasers. And I got to tell some people, like people would ask what I've been up to and I would gush about the book. And the book is, um, it's like a fake strategy guide for a game that doesn't exist. And it's all set in this isometric grid. So it looks like an old video game and assets are replaceable and blah, blah, blah. And this pitch, when people knew what I was talking about, had grown up with strategy guides, had grown up playing classic RPGs, the like excitement and light in their eyes was so like it just fired me up that I'm on, I'm doing people the right really thing. People really got it. People got it. People clicked like, I understand what you're doing. I'm so excited for that. I'm more interested in the people who didn't get it. Um, you could, they, you could tell. Do? Yeah, they just they're just like. Uh-huh, strategy yeah. guide for a video even, game. Okay, even like, oh, you're telling, you're doing a graphic novel that's going to look like a video game. Like that's, that's very accessible. The strategy guide part is usually more like an age thing. Like if they're a little, they're closer to my age, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Younger people, like strategy guides aren't a part of gaming like the way they used to be. So they still, you know, kind of know what I'm talking about, but it doesn't click as hard. Um, But I was thinking I need to get something at the booth, like some kind of like poster that stands up that talks about the project, that explains it like a little coming soon. Yeah. Like, and we've never really done that. Like, once a book is out, we, we promote it hard at the table. But I was thinking about some kind of, like, like a big coming soon poster with all the work in progress art and a little explanation of what it's going to be. With a way to sign up for it if you want to be Yeah, something that like that. A QR like, code. Um, is there a prominent main character? Yeah. Make a stand-up of, cardboard cutout stand-up of that yeah, character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, co- join my adventures. I don't know what he says. But anyway, something like that. If, it's if a you, girl, okay. and her name is Kella. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, so something like that, just show the person, like, this is, you know, learn about what's happening. Yeah. I think it's a good idea. It was just, it was, uh, the not having new prints was outweighed by me getting to gush about the book and people really getting excited about it. Because gushing about, like, the, the other books, like, oh, yeah, it's about a robot who finds dragons. Like, that's that's cool. Like, people were were on board with all my other books. But this one is, like clicking that nostalgia button harder and people are getting more excited than than other book projects so i have this little collection out right now uh only available at shows oh yeah talk about that part of the thistle grimoire is what it's called uh it doesn't actually have an official title and there's no human language in the book at all but uh how i describe it is a uh alien naturalist guide to an extra-dimensional invasion of the Earth and the subsequent discovery by humans of a meteorite that allows them to build weapons of resistance. That's if the people looking at the work have not but that's, yeah, that's literally the best run away. thing because you don't describe it. You don't have any kind of like table talkers around. It's this weird corner of your booth that people are just drawn to. There's no English involved in this project at all, but people can't get enough of it. They just want it. It's, so, is it like an alien text or something? Yeah. So I made a text. I made a, a series. It's actually four languages um, because they're annotated. The, the text is old enough or the, the, the manuscript is old enough that it's been annotated three times. And so there are different annotations. There are different annotations in the text. Um, 
in different languages and you can tell that it's a different hand putting those marks in. Um, but as I've been working on this, one of the ways in which I promote it is I put this big banner up that just has images from the book. And they're quite, um, I like to believe they are interesting without being grotesque, but that is not the universal response. Many people who see it are actually repelled from the booth. They see it and they just immediately do not want to know anything about it and they don't want to have anything to do with my table and they leave. Wow. <laughs> Way to go. Conversely, <laughs> conversely, there will be people who will see that banner from across the convention center and come marching as if a clarion call of weirdness has reached and touched their alien poet's heart and they just look and their eyes trace it down to where I have a collection, a big portfolio of prints from the book, uh, 12 by 18 versions of the same pages. And so then they start flipping through that and then set up beside it is a little stack. They're just, they're very small, these little like collections, a little stack of those hardcover books, volumes with their red ribbons and their nice end papers. And, and I have, the rest of my booth has table talkers, clearly says what things are, how much they cost, who made them. This is the opposite of that. There is no acknowledgement of it as a product at all and the people who get it kind of like your strategy guide idea get it so deeply what i'm trying to do with it is like make a weird text that if you stare at it long enough there is sense to be made of it because i use certain uh, certain pictographs in repetition to mean the names of certain things certain phrases in repetition to mean the um if you could make the noises that corresponded to them they would be how you would invoke it or how you would protect against it and the annotations that come later which are like um more anglo-saxon or more uh, norse are related to symbols of protection and divination and so you can kind of correlate what the good images are and what the bad ones are supposed to be if you give a shit to actually stare at it that long. Um, and some people just love puzzles and love that weirdness. They, everyone who has ever grown up watching science fiction, fantasy, reading fantasy novels has wanted to find in an old bookstore a dusty tomb of an alien language. It's what we've all wanted. At least that's so, what yeah. I believe. I don't think I've ever thought about that. Oh, my now. God, Dan. I think about it all the time. And I mean, what so, are the chances? And every time I go into an old dusty bookstore, I think this will be my never-ending story moment. I'm going to find it here. And, it, you know, it doesn't happen. And so I realized maybe what I need to do is I need to start building this volume myself. And I reached out to a number of different publishers, and I got some really great feedback from actually all of them and I got an offer to publish it on a couple of occasions but the sticking point is I don't want to put a colophon I don't want to put any acknowledgement I don't want it to be ruined like you want the mystery to yeah. stay intact I don't want it to be ruined by a legal disclaimer like I don't mind that people know I made it I mind that the experience will be subverted by you need some good the, packaging. The tap, uh, the trap things of capitalism. You just need some packaging for it. You need a little sleeve to put so in I it. So I made a little sleeve for it, but then I made that sleeve weird. Actually, I made this really evil-looking sleeve that I got a really funny response back from because I contacted a, um, a company that makes wedding invitations. So you can put like a picture of the bride or the groom on the front, and then on the back where the, the 
seal of the envelope would go. You can put like your face. And you sent the monsters. You. And I, <laughs> I sent them elements of this, of this project. What kind of wedding is this? Right. And that's, and someone said, you know, you know, we are a wedding <laughs> thing. You're a printer. Print right? it. And I said, uh, I know, but I didn't clarify. <laughs> so as far as they know, they sent me hundreds of envelopes for like the evilest looking wedding invitations they have ever made. Just so that you're I could on have some a nice watch little, list somewhere yeah. for a little slip case yeah. for the book to go. And so when someone bought it, I had them wrapped and stamped so that they looked weird and like recovered in this like vellum. So if it was a gift, the person could peel it open and the book would be within. But if you bought one and I signed it for you, I had this other little envelope that it could go inside so you could take it away i should also mention that hidden somewhere in a house in a creepy basement corner of a house we stayed in i also hid one of these books so that that magic yeah the magic that you were talking about of finding it Someone naturally in the wild somebody's going to get from that now, yeah yes that's when the be drywall awesome. is being redone someone is going to find this book wrapped up in cloth I and love, wonder. I have to tell this. We have to wrap up soon, but I have to tell the story. When I was, uh, I don't know, grade one, six years old, I guess, we moved into a house, or the house I, I grew up mostly in. And I was, I, my room was in the basement, so I was downstairs in the basement, kind of exploring, looking around. And most of it was unfinished, you know, it was most of concrete floors. And I found a little finger toy. <laughs> it was this little creepy looking, it was little rubber things you put yeah, on your finger. Yeah, and goblin finger creatures. monsters. And I was like, I, I've never seen anything like this before. I'm like, this is just a blowing my mind kind of a toy. I'm like, what is this? I don't know why I'd never seen it. But it was so cool just to find that. Because before in- the internet, things could be surprising. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. We didn't, yeah. yeah, we didn't know the existence of everything. Um, so, yeah, I found this. I just thought it was the coolest thing finding it in this. And I, I wondered whose it was and what had happened to it and how it got there. So it, whoever finds that book is going to go through that. But it's going to be an alien. They're going to think it's alien. Yeah. yeah. They'll cool. either think it's beautiful or so evil, depending Speaking on how Speaking of books raised. with monsters, before we wrap up. Meat House. I just did that. We did a great um, uh, session. Greg texted me. We wrote for 45 minutes. I got uh, like five or six pages down. 7 a.m. I texted him. And it was great. It was was focused, wrote. um, So I just have to do that multiple times. If you're wondering what we're talking about, see previous episode, which this is an ad for. I'll (laughs) also, one last thing. uh, I will also mention um, finding things in walls. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast. Actually, maybe I should. I'll protect the innocent. I know where a gun wrapped in an oil cloth is hidden in a wall in a house somewhere in Winnipeg that is was found still by there? two yeah that's found it was found originally by the people who lived there when they were redoing and it was not the greatest part of town and their neighbors all around them were pretty nervous and seemed very interested that they were redoing the basement so they decided not to mention they had found it and they bricked it back up where they had found it and then passed that information to the new owners of the house who then confirmed it was there with a metal detector. And then they have been wondering recently what to do with it because they're planning to sell the house again. And I would totally dig that thing up. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. But there's this like, you know, that's going on 80 years now that this, you know, old, it's like can't be used, but it's very likely. Was it used? Or used in a crime. <laughs> that's what I want to know. Yeah. It's very likely. That's very cool. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. But I'm uh, writing a short story about it right now that, that, that gun in the wall that I'm sure in my short story was used to kill a supernatural creature. And it's going to be used again at the end of the at story. At the end of the yeah. story. We can check off gun. Yeah. Right? Cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. So if you have hidden something in the wall of a house or a basement, uh, we would like to hear from you at Super Folk Science. Please leave a comment below. If you think it's a good idea for us to leave creepy tomes and lexicons in the places we stay, please leave a comment below. And uh, if you have found a creepy book or lexicon, um, I don't think it was us because we haven't been doing it that long. So watch out. The things are coming for you. This has been Super Pulp Science. Uh, this is Gregor Kamichik encouraging you all to join the fight and make comics. Mm-hmm.